to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bible, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to study we're going to start a study of joy. I feel like a lot of people need joy. And the letter to Philippians is that way. Speaking of letters, Bill Adler wrote a book entitled Dear Pastor. And in that book are letters from various age children to the pastor. Let me read you three of them. Dear Pastor, this is from 11-year-old Ralph. Dear Pastor, I liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. (laughs) A letter from 10-year-old Anthony. Dear Pastor, I would like you to marry me and my girlfriend when we get married someday. Then he added, P.S., I'll let you know when I find a girlfriend. And then finally, 9-year-old Susan wrote, Dear Pastor, please pray, say a prayer for my teacher. She is sick, and if you said a prayer, she would get better and come back to school. P.S. The other kids in my class said I shouldn't write this letter. This letter to the Philippian church is a very special letter. The Philippian church was the first European church that God established through Paul. He had left Asia and Asia Minor, first European church. And when we come to the opening two verses, a lot of people think, well, there's nothing there for me. I want something to take home. Well, I want to tell you there's a lot more here than you realize. Read along with me or follow along with me as I read two verses that a lot of people will just skip over. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to remember two dates, 51, some say 52, but let's just say 51 A.D. Paul is on his second, or really on his second journey, but it's the first visit to Philippi. And, and you, you can read about this in Acts chapter 16. He had a vision from a man in Macedonia who was calling out for their help. And so they left Asia Minor and they went into Europe, went into Philippi first. And when what follows is very interesting because the first converts that we have recorded was a motley crew. He met a a wealthy businesswoman who sold purple. Her name was Lydia. But then he led to Christ a demon-possessed girl who she was delivered from that demon and was led to Christ. And then later Paul was thrown into jail. And you know the story about when they were in jail and an earthquake happened and, and all the prisoners were set free and the Philippian jailer was going to kill himself because the penalty would have been death if any of the prisoners had escaped. And Paul kept them from doing that and led him to Christ and his family. We don't know how many other people were saved during that time, but can you think of starting a church with a group like that? And since Paul founded the church, and these were the charter members, I guess you would call them, they looked to him for help and and insight and direction. And, And so they naturally looked to him 
And a bond was formed. Now, let's jump 10 years later. Now it's 61 AD or 62, somewhere around in there. Paul's now in prison in Rome. He wanted to go to Rome as a preacher. But he wound up going as a prisoner, and he was under house arrest. We know that he was guarded by the Praetorian Guard, which were the elite soldiers, the, the elite Roman soldiers. And he wasn't in solitary confinement, which meant that he could preach and teach in prison. He was not allowed outside. But when the Philippian church heard about it, they took an offering for him. And they sent it to Paul through one of their church leaders. His name was Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus brought this offering, and who knows what all it entailed, but he, they brought it to Paul in prison. And while Epaphroditus was in Rome, he got very sick. They thought he was going to die, but he recovered. God restored his health. And eventually, Epaphroditus was sent back by Paul with a missionary thank you note. And that's Philippians. It's a missionary thank you note to the church for helping Paul. I like to preach through Philippians, first of all, because in the four short chapters that we have, you're going to cover a major portion of Christian doctrine. You're going to see the work and, and the person of Jesus Christ. You're going to see justification by faith. You're going to see the second coming. You're going to see many aspects of sanctification. Another reason I like to preach through it is because it's so personal, and he deals with some personal relationships, and he even shows us how to deal with cantankerous Christians. Y'all do know there are cantankerous Christians from time to time. And another reason I like to study is that it teaches us joy in the midst of personal difficulty and pain. I guess you could say this is perhaps the place where truth touches life in the rawest place because the places where we hurt. It's a personal and informal letter. And since the believers in Philippi were Gentiles, they had no Jewish background. There was no synagogue there. Paul never quotes the Old Testament in Philippians because they wouldn't understand it. They wouldn't have a reference point to it anyway. It's very personal. It's not a systematic theology, so to speak. It's also occasional. There are some specific occasions in which Jesus, I mean, in which Paul is addressing certain situations. Some people have called it theology in street clothes, how to handle a situation when you're there. It's the sharing of Paul's secret of Christian joy. At least 19 times in these four chapters, you're going to see the words joy, rejoicing, or gladness. What's unusual about that is that you would think that Paul would write about anything except joy, especially when he's sitting in prison. He's chained to a guard. Not the best circumstances. His case is about to come before Caesar. He could be acquitted. He could be beheaded. He doesn't know. And Acts 28 verses 30 to 31 indicates that he was a prisoner chained to a Roman guard. And, and yet, here he is with some of the believers in Rome that were divided. And some of the believers even in Rome were causing Paul a problem. And yet, he writes this letter speaking about joy. In spite of his discomfort, in spite of his danger, he overflowed with joy. That's what people are looking for. Everyone wants to be happy today. Now, there's a little difference between happiness and joy. 
Happiness comes from happenings. A lot of people think if I make more money, if I have more material things, if I can have more wonderful experiences, I'm going to be happy. But what happens when the toys rust or the loved ones die or your health deteriorates or the money's gone, the party's over? And a lot of people like that. It kind of reminds me of a guy who was having, he was renewing his driver's license. Now, they've improved a lot of that today, but I can remember at least back in South Arkansas, when you went to the office to get a driver's license or to get your car tags or to get your license renewed, it was anything but efficient. And you might stand in line for an hour, two hours just to get that. And this man got there, and he'd been standing in line a solid hour when it was finally his turn. They took his picture, gave him his driver's license, he was walking away, and he looked at his driver's license, and he realized the picture wasn't very good. Have you ever noticed your driver's license picture? It's, it's not your best, is it? Well, he went back up to the counter, and he said, Ma'am, uh, evidently I've been standing in line so long, I ended up looking pretty grouchy in this picture. And she looked at it and said, It'll be okay. That's how you're going to look when a cop pulls you over anyway. Well, there are a lot of people that are grouchy, and, and, and in contrast to happiness, which is from happenings, joy comes from Jesus. And Paul uses another word in Philippians that really shows us how he could have joy even in the midst of bad circumstances. It's the word mind. It's used 10 times. He uses the word think five times. He uses the word remember once. If you add all that up, 16 times he's saying it's all a matter of your attitude and how you think because, see, outlook determines your outcome. And when you begin to focus on who you are in the Lord and what God has done for you, even when things seem to be tough, you can have a joy and a peace in your life. And so, that's what this letter is about. And even though you may think the first two verses don't have anything, let's look at it for a moment. You'll first notice the church was founded by servants. They were bought by Jesus Christ, Paul and Timothy. Now, I want you to notice right off, unlike all the other letters that Paul writes, he doesn't, Paul doesn't pull his apostle card. You know, to the Romans, he had to show some authority. When he wrote them, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. To other places, he had to verify who he was. He doesn't pull his apostle card here. Can you imagine going home? Let's say I went home and my kids were still there, and I walk in the door and go, I'm Dr. David L. Wilson, pastor of South Chris Baptist Church, Lubbock, Texas. I'm home. You don't do that when you go home. You go in, but there's a relationship. It's your family. He didn't use that card here because there's a relationship here. He's letting them know he's just a servant. He uses the word bond servant. Paul and Timothy. He didn't lord it over Timothy. It's just Paul, Paul and Timothy, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Several words in the New Testament for servant. You have the word diakonos, which we get our word deacon, which means to a person who ministers to others. There's mystheos, which meant a hired servant. 
There was Oiketes, which was a house servant, or Mistheos, a, 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 excuse me, a therapon was an attendant, a Mistheos was a hired servant. But here's the word Paul uses here, it's the word doulos. Doulos means to bind, to be a bond slave. It, it's one who's born in this capacity, and it means a person who's going to put the will of the master before his own will. Now, to a Greek, if you, they, it was intolerable for them to think they would ever be a doulos. And if a Jewish rabbi wanted to insult somebody, he would call them a doulos, a bondservant. Now, I want you to get out of your mind when you hear the word slave, the atrocity that we had in this country years ago of slavery. It wasn't the same in the Roman Empire. But there were three ways that you could become a slave. Even though slaves were more like hired servants, they, they were not treated as awfully as the slaves were treated in this country. So don't, don't make it the same because it's not. So I want you to think for a moment. But the way people became slaves in the Roman Empire, there were three ways. You could be conquered, taken over. You could be born into slavery. Or you could be a slave because of debt. You owed something to somebody and you couldn't pay it. Now, if you think about it, the Scripture tells us that we were slaves to sin. And really and truly, all three of those coincide with that. The Scripture says in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was born a sinner. So were you. We were born with a sinful nature. You didn't have to be taught how to do right. <laughs> it just came naturally. The Scripture also says in Proverbs 5.22, His own iniquities or sin entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. Sin rules over us. It has conquered us. We, we are slaves to sin. We are captured by it. And of course... Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. We're, sin because of, we're, we're um, slaves to sin because of the debt we owe because of sin. And in ancient days, there were three ways that a man could become free. One was to earn it. One was to buy it. Or someone else paid the price. Now, do I have to tell you what Jesus did for us? He paid it all. He paid the price for us. And you'll notice there's no distinction between Paul and Timothy here. Paul's the older one. Timothy is the younger one. There's no distinction. And folks, I'm so thankful that we have all ages in our church, aren't you? We, but here's the thing. None of us are better than others. We're all under Jesus Christ. We've all been saved the same way. We're all bound to him. We're all a doulos, a bondservant to Jesus Christ. So what's the point I want you to have? We are not our own. Jesus paid for us. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You'll notice the servants. Paul just simply said, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm serving him. Now, the other word in verse 1, to all the saints, to the believers in Jesus Christ. Do you know any saints? You see, a saint is not some special kind of Christian. Christian. 
It's not some Christian that's so holy and so pious that they're up on another level. That was invented by man. And you'll hear people talk about Saint so-and-so, and I'm going to pray to Saint so-and-so. That is not the biblical definition of a saint. The words, the, the words saint, holy, holiness, sanctify, sanctification, all come from the same word, hagios, which to be, means to be set apart or to be separated unto something. Saints are unholy people whom God has set apart and singled out and claimed them for his use. You have been taken out of your sin into God's family and you're set apart for him. You are a saint. It used the word sanctification. There are different levels of sanctification. Now, justification means that you've been saved, you've been put right with God. There's only one level of that, and that's through Jesus Christ, and that happens the moment that you give your life to him. But sanctification, there are different levels of it. The first one is positional. You are in Jesus Christ. You became a saint when you accepted Christ as your Savior. Hebrews 10, verse 10 says, By the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You do know there is no gospel apart from Jesus Christ. The, the gospel is not some vague effort to get people to do better. It's not an exhortation to live a good life. Rather, it tells of the things that have happened in Christ because without Jesus, there is no salvation. The church can't give you the salvation. The church can't bestow it upon you. And I feel sorry for these people who are trying to earn it. It's in Jesus Christ. Years ago, there was a Bible teacher, a famous preacher by the name of Harry Ironside. And this was in the days before airplane transportation. But he was traveling the country, preaching and teaching, and he was on a train from the West Coast all the way to Chicago. It took four days. Can you imagine four days riding on a train? But he was in the midst of a group of nuns, and they liked him because he had a nice demeanor, and he was always showing them things in the Scripture that they had never seen before. And one day, before they got to Chicago, he simply asked them, Have you ever seen a saint? And none of them had. And he asked if they would like to see one. They all said yes. He took them by surprise when he said, I am a saint. I am St. Harry. Now, do you realize you're sitting by a saint? Some of you are going, wait a minute, this is my husband I'm sitting by. <laughs> or this is my friend, I know there are no... No, really, really, a saint is a person who has given their life to Jesus Christ. The, even in the song that was sung a moment ago, the word saint was mentioned. But we've gotten this idea that you've got to be in a monastery for enough times, or you've got to be um, something special. But he took them to the Scripture, like this passage, for example, and he took them to others that talk about 
the saints. When you know Jesus, hagios means you're set apart, you're sanctified, you belong to the Lord, you're His. You're either a saint or you ain't. <laughs> because, see, if you don't know Jesus, you're just religious. You just go to church or you're just a good person. To be in Christ means that all that is true of Christ is true of you. We are connected to the vine. John chapter 15 says, He is the vine, we're the branches, and we abide in Him and live in Him, and He abides in us, and we produce fruit. We've been set apart. Positionally, we are in Jesus Christ. And Jesus shared that with the disciples and then later said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can't have the joy of the Lord. It, church doesn't give you joy. That's a great place to be and it's a great place to worship with other believers. It doesn't produce any joy. Well, I guess it does. It produces some happiness depending on who you're sitting by that day. But it, it brings joy in your life. But sanctification is not only positional. I'm in Christ. It's also progressive. I'm becoming more like Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The passage says that because we're now Christians, because we're in Christ, we're a little bit different. In fact, 1 Peter wrote about it in 1 Peter 2.9. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, that we should show forth the praises of him who has called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are becoming saintly saints. <laughs> We're already saints in Christ. We're becoming more and more like him. I don't know about you. He's still got a lot of work to do on me. Amen. He's still working on me. Text, you did not have to say amen when I said that. It tells us we don't withdraw. We don't go into a monastery or we don't completely withdraw from the culture like the Amish folks. But you're to live in the culture, but to live distinctively from the culture. You're set apart unto the Lord. It would be strange if a wealthy man had plenty of money to live, lived homeless like a homeless person. Or an adult always acted like a child or played like a child. Of course, I, I've met a few of those. But the, but the fact is, that's not normal. You're becoming more and more different. And the words here talk about our attitudes. When you come into Christ, your attitudes and your values and your speech and your selflessness and your humility and your love and your commitment to truth, they mark you as a saint in Jesus Christ. The word holiness and sanctification seems to be, diff uh, be gone in a lot of churches today. Oh, we like the justification part. Tell me that I'm a sinner saved by grace, and we are. 
But that's where we stop. Listen, God saved you to help put you where he intended for you to be in the first place, and that was to be set apart like him. You and I are not ever going to be Jesus, but our goal is to become conformed to the image of his son. He changes our heart. It's a, we're a work in progress. And when it begins in the heart, transformation begins to take place. Now, he mentions bishops or overseers and deacons. And these are leaders in the church and these are servants in the church. But the point is, I want you to notice the word with. To the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. It doesn't mean the bishops and deacons are up here and the saints are down here. It means all of you together. All of you together. You're believers in Philippi. You're not over them. You're not ruling over them. And so what's the point I want you to get? Because we're in Christ, we're becoming more like Christ. I know that you can sit in church. You can be a professional churchgoer and not know Jesus and not be in Christ. I've been there, done that, threw away the T-shirt. <laughs> because you can know all the church lingo. You can know, and, and a lot of people get fed up with people who don't really know Jesus. And sometimes the meanest people on earth are church people. Trust me, I know. I didn't say they were Christians. There's a difference. Sometimes church people aren't in Christ. But when you're in Christ, you never stop growing in Him. And God's still working on us. Now, notice the salutation. And there are blessings from Jesus Christ mentioned right here. He, he used the normal greeting... It's interesting, when you wrote letters then, they put their name first and who they're writing to. That way, you don't have to wonder. Can you imagine if it was sent in a scroll form? They didn't have email. They didn't have letterhead. You'd have to unroll the whole scroll to see who this letter was from before you realized who it was from. So they put the name first. And so he does that, but he uses the word grace, which was the Greek word charis or charis. And then he used the Jewish greeting, shalom, peace. So you had the Greek and the Jewish greetings, and he puts that together, and there's a great message right here. First of all, you'll notice the sequence of it, grace and peace. Grace is always associated with God in the New Testament. Romans 5.20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. We are recipients of grace. Let me illustrate it with a stupid story. A man died and went to heaven, standing at the pearly gates, okay? You know, you know that's how that starts. Peter's standing there, and he said, it's going to take a thousand points for you to get in. 
Everything you've done on earth will have points. If you've got a thousand points, I'm going to let you in. And by the way, if any of you just woke up, this is made up, okay? <laughs> this is not in the Bible. Well, the man said, well, that's great. You know what? Unless I was sick, I attended church every Sunday. No exceptions. And I even sang in the choir. Peter said, that'll be 50 points. Hmm. Need a thousand he said, well, I gave a percentage of my income and my time through the church to the Lord's work. I gave 10%. I tithed. And, and Peter said, that's good. That's worth 25 points. Hmm. Realizing they only had 75 points, he started getting a little desperate. He said, well, I taught Sunday school class. That's a great work for God. And Peter said, yeah, it is. That's worth 25 points. And the man was frantic, and he said, you know, at this rate, the only way I'm going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. And he said, that's worth 900 points. Come on in. <laughs> well, see, that's the only way you're going to get there is by the grace of God. And guess what comes when you experience God's grace? Peace. Peace with God. Grace only comes from God. It's unmerited. You don't deserve it. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It wouldn't be grace if you could get it on your own. And then peace. We have peace with the one whom we sinned against. He reconciles us to him. You see, our past has been pardoned by God our future is empowered, our present is empowered by God, and our future is secure in God. And when you start to focus on that, you begin to understand the peace that God gives you. You can live with joy if you're conscious of God's grace. You've heard the name James Garfield. Back in the late 1800s, James Garfield was the lay preacher, and he was also the principal, or I guess the president, of a denominational college. He was ambidextrous, which means he could use the right and left hand at the same time. And get this, he could write Greek and Latin at the same time. He was later elected president of the United States in 1880. Six months after he was elected president, he was shot in the back with a revolver. He never lost consciousness. They took him to a doctor. You've got to remember, they didn't have all the technology we have today. And the doctor used his little finger probing for the bullet. Couldn't find it. He later took a silver-tipped probe and looked for the bullet. Still couldn't find it. They took the president back to Washington, D.C. He was growing very weak, and the whole team of doctors sought to find the bullet. In desperation, they even asked Alexander Graham Bell, who was working on the telephone, if he could locate the medal, and he tried and failed. The president hung on until July and then in August and in the September, and he finally died. But he didn't die from the bullet. 
He died from the infection, from all of the probing that had been going on, them looking for that bullet. There are a lot of people who believe that God has saved them by grace, but they keep probing all their past sins, and they can't get past that. You need to understand, when God forgives you, He pours His grace into your wound. You're healed from that sin. It doesn't mean you won't struggle some, but you don't keep living in the past. And there's so many people that are still trying to earn their salvation. They're out doing works. And they think, if I don't do this every week, I'm not going to be saved or I'm going to lose it. If I stop doing this, if I don't do this, and so forth. And they're absolutely miserable. There's no peace. Until you know God's grace. It's hard to fathom. God's grace is hard to fathom. Why would God forgive me? Why would God love me when I am as sinful and sorry as I am? Because God's love and grace has bestowed, been bestowed to you and me who've given our life to Christ. And when that happens, peace some of you came to church today trying to get extra credit. Some of you come at another time during the week and you're thinking, well, listen, I go on Sunday morning, but if I go on another night of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, I'm going to get extra credit. You don't need extra credit. God has saved you to the uttermost. God has forgiven you and he knew everything you would do your whole life and still forgives you and still loves you and still graces you. And the cure is God's grace. Let him pour the medicine of his grace into your wound. And the result is peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of God. So you notice the source, last of all. Where does it come from? From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Church won't give you peace. <laughs> God is offering that peace to you. So what's the point? The grace from the Lord brings salvation and peace. I know all of us are sinners. The difference is some of us are saved sinners. Some of us are lost sinners. And you may have walked in this building today a lost sinner. But you can walk out of this building today a saint. Saved in Jesus Christ. I don't understand why people don't want to be saved. Maybe they've confused it with a bunch of legalism and a bunch of things, and maybe they've had some great um, examples shown to them through the years, but I'm here to tell you that God's grace is absolutely amazing. Someone ought to write a song about that. 
grace that is greater than our sin. So how do you get that? The first thing you do is you have to admit that you need it. I'm a sinner. My sin has separated me from God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And then you ask God to forgive you because you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and God put on him your sin and my sin. And when you place your faith, that is your trust in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved right then, justified in the eyes of God. Some of you need to do that right now. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 